You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. All right. Good morning again. Welcome in person and online. We are glad you're with us this morning. We are in our Heroes of the Faith series. And we've talked about a couple important people in the Bible that you may or may not have known their stories even quite as well as we've talked about them. We have talked about, if you recall, Daniel, right? Yes? Daniel lies then and more than that, right? We've talked about Elijah, and now we're talking about this guy named David. And last week, we were in the book of 1 Samuel. We're still in the book of 1 Samuel later today. Um, But we're in the book of 1 Samuel talking about probably one of the best-known stories in all of the Bible. That's the story of David and Goliath. And we sometimes can take that story in or even take it for granted and, and not understand what's really going on there. So we, we went um, into some historical stuff and some interesting facts about how they would even sling stones. And I think there's still the rocks up here. And if you recall, David took how many stones? Yes, no? Five. And how many did he throw? One, so we remembered something. Um, David fought a giant whose name was Goliath, right? And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, what did that say? Anyone remember? People look on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I say that somewhat in jest because I want to make sure that we're remembering the important things, all right? So the important thing is the Word of God, and that's my goal is to, to have us read some things and understand some things, and, and my goal that you take some things with you from here, memorize them, store them up in your heart, write them on a post-it note on your mirror, memorize things throughout the week, because the Word of God changes us. The Word of God changes us, and the Holy Spirit in us changes us. And when the Holy Spirit is not in us, guess what? It changes us, not for the good, but for the, for the bad. And we're going to read about a guy today, still in the story of David, whose Spirit of God left him, and he was filled with a different spirit. I want you to hang on to your tray tables, make sure they're, they're in their upright and locked positions today. We've got two Star Wars references coming your way, all in the story of David, 1 Samuel. Buckle up. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. Verse Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. As, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, and this is right after he slew the giant. Remember, he cut off his head, he's got his sword, Goliath is kaput. And then after that, the Israelites go and they attack all the Philistines, and they have a great victory that day. So as soon as all this wraps up, he's speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. These guys basically become best buds, best friends. You can possibly uh, imagine. If you, anyone got a best friend in your life, right? Hopefully you do, and you know who that person is already without thinking about it. Like, that's David and Jonathan, like soul brothers. You know, I got a couple of guys from my fraternity. They're like, that's my guys, you know? Uh, one of them uh, was texting me last night. We've known each other now for 18 years, over 18 years. And I think he's like, if our, he said, if our, if our relationship was a sentient being, it could vote. It's now 18 years old. Um, so like, man, we, we've been alive longer than I realized. Um, and time flies, time flies fast. But, you know, these relationships that really matter can often stick with you. That's David and Jonathan, right? And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house because like, hey, this kid won a great victory. And already before this, if you recall, David was like playing harp and lyre for King Saul because King Saul had the headaches and the not feeling goods of things, right? So Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself with the robe. And this is the covenant practice of the time. And gave it to David. They switched clothes like what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that's Goliath, they're on their way back. The women came out of all the cities of Israel, they've heard of this victory, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. 
Now before we get to this next little section, you need to know one thing. Saul has a security blanket. You ever see Linus from the Charlie Brown stuff and he takes the little blanket around with him wherever he goes? Saul has a security blanket. And Saul's security blanket is a spear. A little bit harder and not quite so soft as a blanket. But that's what he takes with him wherever he goes. And you can actually read, there's, there's no less than ten examples throughout the next few chapters of if Saul is mentioned, so is his spear. Like, apparently these two guys never went anywhere without each other. So David and Jonathan are best friends, but Saul and his spear are best friends. So um, this is very important because following this up with his spear, we also know that as big as he was and as handsome as he was, that the scriptures earlier we read last week, anointing King Saul, even though he wasn't a great king, um, as big as he was, as strong as he was, as handsome as he was, and with that spear, he was about stormtrooper level accurate with that spear. You know, and you ever wonder in the Star Wars movies how like they pew, 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 and they're like, I'm still here. Like they can't pew, 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 and, and everyone's still alive. Saul was about that accurate with his spear. Because no less than four or five times he ends up over the next few chapters getting mad and throwing this spear at David and even at his own son Jonathan for being friends with David. Fortunately, he's inaccurate. They survive. All right? So they're coming back from David killing the giant, the Goliath of Gath. And they're on their way back. And this new hit song comes over the radio. And these people come out and they're singing this song. And the song had to have a catchy tune with all these musical instruments. And it went a little something like this. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Alright, that's probably it. It was a long time ago. Hit songs didn't last as long. Alright, so in this hit song, basically everyone is singing it. Everyone is excited about the victory. And they're saying, King Saul has, has, has slain thousands. But David... His tens of thousands. And Saul gets, starts with a J, jealous. Saul gets jealous because what he saw in the battle, he was like, wait a second, I'm king, this is a kid. I've slain my thousands. I was actually there, he only, he only slain one dude that all we know about with a stone. He didn't have a, one, and you're giving him ten thousands? This is not fair. I'm king. I deserve the crown. I deserve the respect. I, I, me, 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 and my spear. And Saul was very angry. In verse 8, and this saying displeased him. <laughs> Just a little bit. And they said, they have ascribed to David his ten thousands, and me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have the kingdom? We just give him the crown right now. And Saul eyed David from that day on, and the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, and he did day by day like normally. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, you know what, I'm going to pin this kid to the wall, and they're going to stop singing about him when he's dead. And he throws the spear, and David evaded him twice. Imagine crazy King Saul running around his palace, trying to pick up a spear and throw it at this boy. It's a bad day for David. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. You know what? I'm going to send him in the army and maybe the Philistines will take care of this problem. But David had success in all his undertakings. And the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So at this point, Saul knows, like, I don't like this guy. I'm jealous of this guy, but everybody else loves this guy. I can't get rid of him in the kingdom. Jealousy is an interesting thing. Be honest now, anyone ever wrestled with jealousy? If you were honest, all your hands would go up. At some small level, something in our lives, we have struggled with being jealous of something else someone has, someone else someone has. A style of life, a new car, whatever. I don't care what it is. These little moments can come in. And if we're not careful, they can overtake our lives and consume us. You see, jealousy is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
Paul writes what the fruit of the Spirit are later in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I didn't catch jealousy in there at all. In fact, in the verse prior to this, he references that this is not a good thing. And in fact, this is an identifying factor of something not of God. The only thing and the only person who's allowed to be jealous is God over our relationship with us. You can read that in, um, this is, I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 14. It says, God, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous of my relationship with you when you turn from me and worship other idols, worship other gods, are jealous over other things that aren't, aren't me. That's not right. That's not good. Jealousy is not a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. And Saul gets jealous. Technically, this will be Star Wars reference number two, so i got three for you today, because we already talked about the pew-pew stormtrooper accuracy thing. Anyone like the show The Mandalorian? Yes, hands go up. You're excited about that. In this show The Mandalorian, there are two main characters. This is not a spoiler alert. We were talking about this morning, so I'm referencing this. Um, there is the main character, The Mandalorian, played by Pedro Pascal, and the awesome animatronic, not a live character, what we call Baby Yoda, right? The child. Yeah, but we call him Baby Yoda. We call him, you know, I can call him Baby Yoda. That's what I'm going to do. Because I already have two childs, so I'm going to go with Baby Yoda. That way I don't get him confused. So we're going to call him Baby Yoda. So you have the Mandalorian, you have Baby Yoda. And if you watch this series, the first season was great, and they've already filmed and getting ready to roll out with season two, and we were talking about this morning, Tony was sharing with me an article that the guy who plays the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal, is upset because he's being upstaged by the baby Yoda. So much so that he says, you know what, either up my contract and pay or I'm out because I'm being upstaged by this little animatronic baby Yoda thing, and I'll just do the voiceovers from home. This is what acting has come to in 2020, I guess. He's jealous of the child, of the baby Yoda. It's not real, number one. Number two, it's not real. Number three, he's already the star, real life breathing star, of an awesome hit show. And I'm sure he's not poor. See, Saul had it all too. He was king. But he, came, he got jealous of the child. The king, the upstart. And this jealousy took him on a crazy journey. We're going to hit the fast-forward button here through about seven chapters. So bear with me. After this whole crazy spear-throwing thing, Saul's like, you know what? I'm going to offer him my daughter in marriage. And King David's like, no thanks. So she goes to marry someone else. He's like, I got an idea. The first one didn't work. I'm going to offer another daughter in marriage. This daughter's named Michal. Michal, M-I-C-H-A-L. You can pronounce that however you would like to pronounce that. Um, Michal, right? And, and Michal actually had a heart for David. She's like, ooh, he's cute. And swooning, right? So she loved David, and he's like, okay, this will be a good daughter, but in order for me to give him, David, my daughter in marriage, he's going to have to go kill 200 Philistines. Let's see how that goes. He had a hard enough time taking down one. Now I'm going to challenge him to, to go get rid of 200. And if somehow he survives, <laughs> I'll give him my daughter, Michal. Well, David goes out with his men, and he does survive, and he does the job. And there's little ears in the room, so we're going to skip the rest of chapter 18. You know, there's NSFC, not safer church. Um, uh, so go back, you can read that later, about what he actually has to turn in to um, prove he has killed those 200 Philistines. And um, guys, you'll cry with me. It's a, a part... It's a part of our anatomy we treasure very much. And that's what had to get turned in. Regardless, we'll move on. So he turns those in as proof. And he marries Saul's daughter, Michal. 
Now remember, David and Jonathan, they're still friends. And they have that brotherly friendship. And he's kind of like the whole time, yeah, dad's cuckoo. I'll help you get out of some situations. And he does. But eventually it's, it's not enough. And, and Saul gets so angry at his own son Jonathan for helping David evade him for trying to kill him that he throws his own spear again at his own son. And David's like, it's probably a good time for me to get out of here. And Jonathan is like, yes. So David flees to, of all places, Gath. Now, why is this important? Who did he just kill that was from Gath? Big, tall dude, burly, big armor, you may have heard of him. Goliath was from Gath. So of all places, David flees about the only place he can think to go of is Gath. And he flees to the same tribal group of people he just killed their big, tall dude from. Good thing David is a great actor. And he pretends like he's crazy, drooling from the mouth, going down his beard. This is in Scripture. I'm not making this up. So if you're bored and want like soap opera reading through, through the week, just check out these next few chapters. So, I'm David. <laughs> like, seriously, that's what he does. And it fools the, the Philistines of Gath so much that they're like, this is the guy, this is the kid who took down the giant. Let's just put him in a corner. Let's leave him alone. And it works. Eventually, he has to leave Gath, and he goes and hides in caves. Ends up at this place called Nob, N-O-B. All the while, Saul and thousands of men are chasing David. By this point, David has a couple hundred guys, four or five, six hundred guys, who have flocked to him and are like, we think Saul's crazy too, and, and we're with you, giant killer. We're going to go where you go. So he flees to this place called Nob, and again, Saul still has the jealousy bug, and he's chasing him all around this area, almost like hide-and-seek, chasing each other around for about 20-25 mile radius. And at Nob, David finds sanctuary with the Israelite priests there. And this head priest is called Ahimelech. And Ahimelech has this important thing called Goliath's sword. See the sword that, that David cut Goliath's head off with? That was Goliath's sword. And it ended up at this place called Nob. Probably on display, nice display case. You know, you could walk through there and be like, on this day, blah, blah, blah. This is giant, you know, you'd read all the memos and take your picture with a face in the hole, you know. It's probably a little nice museum there at Nob. And they had Goliath's sword there. Now, this whole time, David is running around unarmed. And he's like, hey, I could use a sword. And they're like, here, take this one. You kind of earned it anyway. So he's got Goliath's sword. Now, eventually, Saul catches up with all these guys at Nob. David has escaped. Saul's not happy about this. And he has a guy kill all 85 priests there at the town of Nob. And then they wipe out the whole village. Men, women, children, donkeys, livestock, cattle, nothing survives. See, in his jealousy and in his rage and in his anger, he does a better job killing his own people than the Philistines do. And it's incredibly discouraging. One of those little boys escapes, the son of Ahimelech. And he's able to take his dad's priestly robes and catch up with David and tell him what went down there. So the pursuit continues. David over here one day, and then Saul catching up just too late. And David going over there and hiding in a cave, and then and King Saul going over the mountain and, and passing him by. And this goes on and on and on for a while. This pursuit continues. And the Philistines attack, and then King Saul has to go fight the Philistines again. And okay, and then, and then David uses his time to go hide in a cave in the wilderness of Engedi. And after the battle, Saul takes three thousand of his best warriors, because he's still on a manhunt for David. Now, I want to ask you a question really quick. At what point in your Christian walk would you just say, like, you know what, I give up. Just end it, right? Get it over with. But David's strength and courage and commitment was resolute to what God had called him to do. Because remember, Samuel had anointed him king. He knew what lay ahead in God's provision. 
And this was a hard road to walk. So David is hiding in a cave. Fortunately, we have the ability to read David's heart. You see, in the book of Psalms, 73 of those are attributed to David. Remember, David was a pretty much rock star guitar player of the day. Songwriter extraordinaire, you know, and he was writing all these songs down. And so we can actually hear what David's perspective was. Psalm 142, if you'd like to turn there. A mascal of David when he was in the cave. This is a very specific cave. A prayer. Hear David's heart. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. You ever felt like that before? I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. God, pay attention, for I am brought very low. I've got nothing. I'm running from a crazy king. Who wants to kill me for doing nothing but winning the battle and playing a guitar hero? Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of the prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Isn't that an incredible glimpse into David's perspective? Into David's heart? Does he mention King Saul by name at all? Yes, no? Any takers? No? Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that later. So we get a chance to see David's heart. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 12. So he's in this cave, and we hear David's heart. Actually, we're going to start from verse 1 through 12. Let's do that. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Apparently this was a landmark. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. King Saul's got to go number two. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the same cave. David had probably just finished writing this song. <laughs> Lord, hear me. Oh, look, it's King Saul. Coming to do number two. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day. <laughs> Remember the thing you just sang about and prayed about deliverance? King Saul just came to the cave, dude, go, you know, and then we can move on with our lives. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Ha ha, vengeance. And David arose, and did he kill him? No, he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, when I was growing up, I used to think that, you know, King Saul was standing in the robe while David cut it off. But most likely, uh, knowing the garments of the day, it was very difficult to go number two in all of your kingly robe and attire. So most likely, he, he takes that off and sets that over here so he can do his business over here. All right? So that's in the cave. David comes up, snip, snip, ha, ha, just to make a point. Said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he's the Lord's anointed. Because remember, he was anointed just as he was by Samuel. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Because they're probably like, bro, you're crazy. Like, this is the dude who wants to kill you. Go finish this. Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterward, David also rose and went on the cave after they moved down a bit. And he called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and, and paid homage because he's still king. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? Why are you listening to these guys? I don't seek your harm. This is the day that your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. 
And they told me to kill you, but I spared you. Because I said, I'm not going to put out my hand against the Lord, for he's the Lord's anointed. See, the Father, the, the corner of your robe in my hand, I cut off your clothes. I was that close to you that I could have ended you. If I have not sinned against you, though the hunt of my life to take it. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As a proverb of the agent says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. We're going to actually skip ahead to verse 16. As David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? This is the first time he calls him my son David. That's kind of crazy. He's been trying to kill him for a while. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and then you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. So swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you won't cut off my offspring, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And then Saul went home, and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Shouldn't the story be over? It's not. Because this is very important. Listen to this. Jealousy does not go away. It has to be given away. Saul's still jealous. He hasn't given it over to the Lord. He hasn't let peace reign in his heart or forgiveness or grief or guilt or humility. None of those things reign in Saul's heart. And the jealousy remains. He's still jealous for the kid who's not yet king. And the chase is not over. And I'm sure David at this point is like, whew, I'm glad that those crazy months are over. That was, that was nuts. Guy chasing after me with a spear, hiding in caves. Craziness. But it's not over. After this, Samuel, the man, prophet, judge, who anointed them both, he passes away. And I think Saul uses this opportunity to be like, you know what, kind of Saul's not here anymore. Or sorry, Samuel's not here anymore, and I can, I can now get, get, rid of, get rid of the other king he anointed, and now I can just be king all over again. I think that's what's going on. So I want to pick up the story again now, or fast forward. First Samuel chapter 26. A lot happens in between here, by the way. So, again, great weekly reading. And then the Ziphites, people of Ziph, came to Saul at Gabeah saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? Now, those two words don't sound like Star Wars. I don't know. Where, well, you know, Hakalah and Jeshimon. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, Z-I-P-H, with 3,000 Chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. He's got 3,000 dudes again who want nothing but David's life all over again. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. All right, I'm going to recap a little bit of it. So they go down and they look at the camp. I see everything there. And in the middle of the camp is Saul. Guess what Saul is with? His spear. His spear is right in the ground, right next to him, as well as the commander of the whole army. So they're just hanging out there in the whole center of the camp. Nothing bad can happen. And David has this idea. He's like, you know what? We're going to put an end to this. Who wants to go with me? Abishai. Abishai. Abishai said, I'll go with you, David. So David and Abishai, they creep into the camp at night. And all the guys, all Saul's guys, are kind of sleeping and tired. Heavy sleep had come over them all. They were probably intoxicated. Heavy sleep. All right, having a good time. And they're hanging out there in the camp, and they're going to go try to get David the next day. The problem is David's already there. And so David and Abishai come into the camp. Sneaky, sneaky. 
Sneaky, sneaky, into the camp. No one notices them. It's like the coolest stealth operative, you know, like the music's playing in the background. All right, so they creep into the camp, and there's Saul. And Abishai's like, bro, it's like the cave again. Like, kill him. Let's go. What do you think David says? David says, no, I'm not going to kill him. Then Abishai is probably like, then what the heck are we doing here? It's like, came to prove a point. So guess what they take from Saul? Oh, yeah. They take his security blanket. Spear. And they get out of the camp. And now they could have killed him and the commander of the army both at the same time. Done. But... Get out of the camp. Once they get out of the camp safely, David then yells into the camp. He's like, Hey, King Saul, wake up! Are you looking for this? <laughs> King Saul's like, Huh? How'd the get the was here? And now you and you. David now uses this as an example, now twice, to say, look, I could have ended you, and did not. Saul recognized David's voice, verse 17. Is that your voice, my son, David? (laughs) My my son? (laughs) Giant killer, (laughs) spear thrower, (laughs) taker, not killer of me. (laughs) It's my son. Look, here he is, David. He said, it is me. He said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? What are you trying to do to me, King Saul? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Like, I even saved your life before. Now, therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I should do no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods, because he's been with the Philistines. But, therefore, let my... Blood not fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come to seek a single flea himself, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. I thought he said that before. He did say that before. But jealousy had control of his life. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of you, no, in the sight of the Lord that he may deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now because we're going to skip this next week to move on in David's story, after this moment, David goes to stay with the Philistines for a year and four months, over a year. And eventually the Philistines go to fight Saul and the Israelites again. These are just tribal things, warring peoples, fighting over the same land. And so Saul and the Israelites go to do battle, but King Saul, even with his spear, is anxious, and he goes to see a fortune teller at a place called Endor. It's in the Bible, y'all. The moon, hidden rebel base, return of the Jedi, Ewoks and teddy bears, Minus all of that, it exists. The place called Endor. And Saul has these freak out dreams and he goes to see a fortune teller at Endor. And he gets a bad omen. And then the next day, he and his sons, including Jonathan, David's best friend, die in battle. And that bad omen is actually the only time in Scripture where we're talking about a ghost because this fortune teller ends up unintentionally summoning the spirit of the prophet Samuel. 
And Samuel's like, what are you doing? Like, you're messing with stuff you shouldn't be doing. Now, I don't know if you and I really sometimes believe that there's a world we can't see. There is a world we can't see. A few of us, I've shared one of my stories uh, back in June. We've seen moments like that, and it makes the hair stand up on my arms. It's not holy, and it's not good. No matter what way it's painted. And Saul and his sons end up dying. Now this brings up to the point. Say, Josh, what's your point today? I'm glad you didn't ask. (laughs) See, jealousy had taken over King Saul's heart. And he was vengeful and wanted nothing but to wipe David off the face of the earth. And David is doing all he can to remain faithful to God. And this leads us to this paradox of choice that is called could versus should. Could versus should. So you and I have some choices in everyday life even. We could do this, right? But we probably should do this. We could go into a lot of debt and buy a new Mercedes. But we should not. Right? We could not feed the dogs for a week. We could. But we should feed the dogs daily. You see where I'm going with this? It's not a hard thing to understand. We could do lots of things. You could be angry with your spouse. Maybe you have every right to be. But you should forgive and move on. Could versus should should shake us to our core because what we discover, and even the stories that we've read, y'all remember a couple weeks ago we, we read Elijah? Right? And all of the Israelites had turned their back on God. And they were worshiping Baal. And so they build the two altars. I'm not going to recap all of that. But then fire comes down after you know, Elijah had, had taken even water and it shouldn't light on fire. And fire comes down from heaven. What could God have done? Well, he could have done nothing. If God sent fire, where could it have gone? Not, not only the, the Baal worshippers, the people of the other gods, it could have gone on the Israelites for turning their back on him. And to be honest, that's probably what they deserved. God could have done that, but should open the way. God could have not sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross, but should opens a way for us. And could versus should in our lives starts to separate things. Could, you could do this, often leads to selfish desires, tendencies, my wants, my need. I could do this. It's like you're, you're you know, my, my wife often jokes that I'm the lizard whisperer or something like that, you know. She doesn't like the creepy crawly things around the house, you know, especially the little night lizards with the eyes that go like bleh, you know, like, and they're all like almost, you know, transparent, like the gecko looking things. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And, and often, and I don't know how, uh, they, they find their way into our house. They just like it so much, they want to come inside and stay a while. And so Lisa would be like, oh my gosh, there's one of those things over there, go kill it. Now me, I know I could, but I also value life in all of its forms. And so I go to sometimes painstaking lengths to try to get this IQ of five lizard (laughs) into a cup or onto a paper or something that I can... I'm like, I'm trying to save your life here. Because if you stay in here, you will surely die. And so I do whatever I can. I'm crawling around on the floor and underneath couches and behind washing machines to get this lizard, to put him back where he belongs. Because should drives me to it. That's what God has done for us. 
He is doing everything He can right now with every single one of you to get you to wake up and be like, just go into the cup. I'll put you back where you belong. You don't have to do this on your own. I'm here to help. Could often is selfish. Could often is destructive. We'll just go kill that thing. Go get rid of it. Take care of it. Fire that employee. Don't talk to them anymore. Just end it. Get out of that relationship. Unfriend them. That'll do the trick. Because that's real. Could often is selfish and destructive, whereas should is often selfless and compassionate. Could is vengeful. Should exercises grace. Could is about power and control. I could do this. I could force my way through. I could take that, that little lizard's life and just not have to chase it around anywhere. You're dead. Go in the garbage. Down the toilet. I don't care. And if you're like me, and your time on this earth, you have probably known a lot of good people. Right? Not good people. Good people. Where they could do it, so they did. They could go get drunk, so they did. They could go be foolish, so they did. They could do drugs, so they did. They could cheat on their wife, so they did. But should leads us down a different path. And I would rather be a should person than a could person. See, could is essentially of the world. But should, well, that's gospel. Because who should we be following? Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He's the king of could versus should. And we see should displayed in his life. He could come down from the cross. But because of his love for us, he decided he should stay there. Hallelujah for that. And David is a could versus should person. Saul is a could person. And David is a should person. And we see that displayed not once, but, not tw- but, but twice in two very powerful ways. I could have killed you. But I should not. God does reward that later. And He does become the great King that He was set out to be and anointed to be. Is He perfect? No. We're going to talk about that next week. But in all of this, and all the people of Israel and Judah following Him, they see, hey, this is a guy worth following. Not because He could, but because He should. And David understands something that isn't written about yet as far as the timeline of Scripture. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, and you don't have to turn there. King Jehoshaphat, they're going out to do battle against a great army, much, much, much bigger than theirs. And they're standing on this hill and they're looking over at the army. They will destroy them surely the next day. And he says, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And then later this is reinforced in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to start actually 10 through 20. And Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. David knows this. His battle's not against Saul. He didn't even mention Saul once. 
in the psalm where he's writing about him essentially. He's not, I'm going to call him not by name because my battle isn't against Saul. My battle is against evil. My battle is, is for the Lord. David knows this. I'm going to be real straight with y'all today. I think some of y'all are trying to fight your own battles. You're trying to be a could person instead of a should person. And something else has taken hold of your life. Jealousy, rage, envy, malice, gossip, anxiety, worry, frustration. You fill in the gap. That's your gap. And if you're not careful, those overtake your life and suddenly you're doing everything that you could do, but not everything that you should do. And David knows this. This My battle isn't against this guy. Your battle isn't against that other person. Did they wrong you? Sure. What made them wrong you? Evil. The evil one. The evil that's in their heart. Something not of God. And at some level, and unfortunately, most of those times, they're ignorant. Because they don't know this. It's almost not even fair for us to be angry at people who don't know this, right? We're seeing so much strife in the world and tension in communities. And where things are starting to walk a fine line for now is maybe the first time even in human history, at least modern history, that people say they do this. They say they know this. But they live like they don't. And they speak like they don't. And they act like they don't. After a while, this has taken root to our nation. Looks around one day, they're like, well, this doesn't really matter. So in 1986, let's take it out of the schools. Let's take down the Ten Commandments. Let's stop prayer. Let's recognize all this other stuff because guess what? This doesn't really even matter. Because all the Christians I know are jerks. All the Christians I know are good people, not should people. We're fighting the wrong battle. The battle right now, as much as the media will try to convince you, is not about the color of your skin. The battle right now is not about who's elected into office or what judge is appointed. The battle right now is not about who's allowed in our country or not. The battle right now is not masks or not masks virus or vaccine. The battle right now is good versus evil. And wake up, it always has been. And evil is presenting itself in a new form today. And so if we're not ready, we're in trouble. How do we get ready? I'm glad you didn't ask. Again. I'm going to pick up there in Ephesians. Now, David went out to do battle against a Goliath, tall dude, nine foot, with a sling and a stone and a staff in his hand. But he was armed to the teeth in what we're about to read. Paul continues, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Like, when you feel like you've done everything, you should just stand, because you'll be able to. Stand therefore on what? On having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness by the gospel of peace. I'm ready to talk about God to whoever, whenever, wherever, however, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God, sharp, able to separate bone and sinew, muscle, fiber, tissue, and get to the heart of the issue. The Word of God, bring at all times in the Spirit, which all prayer and supplication to that, and keep alert, be on your guard, be awake, get woke even, from that shirt we have. making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that the words may be given to me in my opening mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, put on your armor. 
And y'all, you are getting ready to go out and do spiritual warfare this week. This is an hour of boot camp. And I want to encourage you to put on your armor. And now it might be described like this, but it might look a little different for you. Because what Paul is talking about are not tangible things. They're intangible. And I hope this next week we have an opportunity. I know there's going to be an opportunity for you to take advantage of a could versus should situation. And even if that's parenting your kids, you could discipline them. You could send them time out for a billion hours. Some of them probably deserve it, right? But you should. Show them compassion and grace. And maybe a different way of discipline. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm just saying the practical applications of this are endless. Be a should person instead of a could person. And trust God with the battle. That's what we can learn from David today. I want to band up and we're going to pray. God, thank you for your word for us today. God, I pray that we are reminded of being a could person versus a should person. I pray that your word has maybe exposed some things in our life that we weren't aware of, that your Holy Spirit has convicted of, of us of some, some areas in, in our life that God, maybe we just need to hand over to you and not be like Saul and just hold on to, to guilt or jealousy or all those things and say, I'm going to give that up today. I'm going to set my eyes on you. I'm going to turn away from the things of the world and I'm going to remember that the battle is yours. God, forgive us where we have fallen short. and Help us become the people of God that you have called us to be armored up for faith. And we are, like as Paul wrote, ambassadors even in chains for the gospel.